Good morning. What book are we in? Good. Somebody paid attention. Second Thessalonians. And we're going to look at uh, the same verse that we looked at, or same verses we looked at last week. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. We talked about this last week as being hyper-faith, growth beyond measure. Well, that's not all they had. Second part of that verse, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. That's, again, it's like hyper-love now. And so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Paul was so delighted with this church that he was boasting about them wherever he went that they had this kind of faith that not only trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation, but trusted in Jesus Christ after salvation. They were trusting Him to do the impossible, and God was working in their midst. Not only so, they loved each other as Christians should love. Jesus said to His disciples, By this shall all men know that you are My disciples. By what? Your love. For one another. Okay? And so they were showing true signs of life, true signs of spiritual life. And so last week we focused on their faith, and we um, asked you to think about just one person that you could pray for. And uh, I know that there are some here who are praying specifically for that one person, uh, that that person might come to know the Lord. Faith. Faith also encourages us to take God at His word and to trust Him for greater things. And I want to encourage you to do that. That was last week. If you didn't hear the sermon, get it online and uh, download it, listen to it. And uh, if you did and you forgot about it, hear it again. This week we want to look at love. Love. And I'm glad for the songs that we sang this morning and also for the devotional this morning in the Lord's Supper, talking about the love of God for us. And uh, what... We could have the rest of our life examining the love of God for us, and uh, it wouldn't be enough time. We'll have heaven to enjoy the love of God, and uh, that's eternal. That's uh, forever. So, the love of every one of you abounds um, abounds toward each other. And so the question for us this morning individually, and the question for us as a church is this. Are you growing or are we growing in love? Are we growing in love? And so the prayer for you and for me is found in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. And this is what Paul prayed for them. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as we do to you. So that prayer that Paul offered in the first book, the first letter, is apparently being very well answered. And he wants them to continue in this growth in love. Love. 
So let's start at the very beginning. We were looking at this in our class this morning, the, something called in, in the interpretation of the scripture, something called the law of first mention. Where, when is love first mentioned in the scripture? Well, I'm going to take a little different approach to this. In Mark chapter 12, verse 29, a scribe approached Jesus one day and he asked him a question, which is the greatest commandment? And the answer is found in Jesus' uh, reply. He said, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. If you could take the entire Bible, uh, take the entire Old Testament, and sum it up in one sentence, it is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and love your neighbor as yourself. The importance of love cannot be overstated. And we need to be growing in love. And it begins, first of all, with the love of the Lord your God. Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, keep my commandments. He also said, If you love me, keep my word. And you say, okay, I understand keep my commandments. But what does he mean, keep my word? And anytime I hear that, that uh, quoted, I, al- I always think about uh, David's mighty men. David was in the heat of battle. Bethlehem was surrounded, was actually overtaken by the enemies. And he spoke out loud. Remember, we've, we've talked about this. There are inside words and there are outside words. And David let some of his inside words come out and he said, Oh, for the water from the, bell, from the wells of Bethlehem. David did not command his men to do anything, to go get water, anything like that. It was just his word. It's just his longing. And his men, at their own peril, at the risk of their own life, went behind enemy lines and got water for him from the wells of Bethlehem. And they brought it to him. What a sacrifice they made for water. And David recognized that, and he poured it out as a sacrifice to the Lord on the ground. And, but when I think about what Jesus said, uh, he who loves me keeps my word, I think of those men. You don't even need a direct command from the Lord. Just knowing his heart, knowing what is of interest to him, knowing what um, he loves is enough for us as believers to keep his word, to do what he wants us to do. Did you know that you actually expose to others how much you love God by how much you love other people? Did you know that? The way you treat other people, the way you love or don't love other people, actually exposes your feelings, your love, your compassion towards the Lord. It's demonstrated by how you love your husband, by how you love your wife, by how you love your co-workers, and by how you love the saints. Your love on this level, on an earthly level, is a clear demonstration of your love 
to the Lord or lack thereof. How do I, why do I say that? Well, in 1 John 4.20 it says this, If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brothers also. You say you love God. That's great. If I were to ask every one of you individually, do you love God? Oh, yeah, I love God. Do you love your wife? Well, it's another story. <laughs> do you love God? Yeah, I love God. How do you treat your coworkers at work? Well, that's another story, too. Your love on this plane is a reflection of your love on this plane. You say you love God? That's great. Prove it to me by the way you love others. You can't hide. I can see your love for God by your love for each other. That's how it works. And as I look at many of you, I do see your love for God because I see your love for each other. I see that. And I want to be able to stand before the Lord one day and be able to give an account of your life and to be able to say, oh, yeah, that sister, that brother, Lord, I know he loved you. How do you know he loved me? The Lord might ask. Well, here's how he treated his wife. Here's how he treated his fellow workers. Here's how he treated the saints. Here's how she treated her children. Here's how she treated her husband and others. Pray, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all. Love the Lord your God, and the way you show it is by how you love one another. So that's really the the theme of the message, love your neighbor as yourself. And so I want to talk about growing in love. How can we grow in love as believers? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's a high standard, isn't it? Love your neighbor as yourself. How much do you love yourself? Well, Jesus raised it higher still when he said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. Wow. It's one thing to say, I love you in the same way I love myself. But can I say, I love you in the same way? That God loved me. Can you say that? That's why we need to grow in love. That you may love one another. And as I said, by this shall all know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one for another. The love referred to here is agape. It's the same kind of love that God shows us. It's undeserved. It's unmerited. It's just love because he loves us. It's not a... Do this for me and I'll love you back kind of a love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that gives oneself at any cost. And it could mean even laying down your life for the brethren or laying your life for another person. This kind of love actually prefers others to self. And it doesn't distinguish between, well, you know, he's my good buddy and she's not. And so it's really, it's a supernatural love. It's a love that we can't just drum up ourselves. It is a love of the Lord through us. This kind of love responds to people in need. And I'm going to tell you this. God will bring into your life people that rub you the wrong way. And you should look at that as a challenge. 
you should look at that and say, you know what? Why did the Lord bring this person into my life? It's that you might demonstrate his love for them. You are God's ambassadors. You are God's spokespeople on earth today. And you are to reflect the love of God to that person, even the ones who irritate you. Okay? Love. Love. Um, Agape love gets involved, does what needs to be done. It was really this kind of love that prompted the early church to share all things in common. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, it says this, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And then we read in the scripture, and the church grew. And the church grew. Why? They demonstrated love to one another, and then God blessed them with growth. The simple demonstration of love caused the church to surge forward. Many of you know Roger Raybuck. He was a missionary in Zaire some years ago. He and his family went to Zaire to serve as missionaries. And as he uh, lived there for some time, there was a new guy who came to, uh, a new missionary. He was a single man who came to the mission field, and his name was Bert Mast. <clears throat> Bert Mast arrived in the field, and, and Roger and Danita invited him for dinner one night and, uh, to welcome him to the mission field. Now, to set this story up properly, you have to understand that the missionaries at this time believed that any possessions that they had belonged to them. Anything they had was theirs. And uh, if they owned anything, that's, that thing that they owned was theirs, and permission was always needed to borrow it. And if you did borrow something, you'd better be sure you bring it back in its same condition and in a timely manner. Without raising hands, how many of you feel the same way about your possessions? Okay? Everybody, I'm sure. Well, you say, well, that's normal. That's what everybody feels. So Bert came, and they were um, uh, sitting down at the dinner table, and he hadn't been schooled in these traditions of the missionaries. So at his first meal together, he said to Roger, Hey, Roger, I, I see you have a car. That's great. He said, Now I don't have to buy one. And Roger told me, he said, I, I was shocked at Bert's boldness. And then Bert said, Hey, hey Roger, he says, Do you have any tools? And Roger kind of gulped, and he says, Well, I've got a few. And he's thinking to himself, well, who is this Burt Mass guy anyway? Is he a complete freeloader who has come from, I think he's from Canada. <laughs> a complete freeloader. And Burt said, don't worry, Roger, if you only have a few. He says, I've got plenty. And he says, you won't need to get anything. I've got everything you need. And it made Burt's attitude come clear when he said that. He said, isn't it great being a Christian? Everything I have belongs to God. And everything you have belongs to God. And so if I want to use something that is in your possession, it's God, so I should be able to use it. And if anything I have is God's and you want to use it, you should be able to use it too. Wow, he said, this is going to be great. (laughs) And Roger said, you know, It took me back. I I saw clearly that this was the true New Testament love and action, just like the disciples in the early church who held all things in common 
and none of them called what they possessed their own. Love holds lightly to possessions. This is love for others in action. In uh, the book Chicken Soup for the Golden Soul, it was an old book from years ago, there was a story of a, of a woman whose name was Susan. She was 21 years old and she was diagnosed with breast cancer. She was a college student, a bright, vibrant college student, and the news devastated her. To make matters worse, she had no funds to pay for the medical costs. Her father had recently lost his job. Her mother was disabled, and she hadn't worked in nearly 15 years. She had an empty bank account, but she had faith in God. And with a heart full of faith, Susan began six weeks of chemotherapy treatments. And Susan's faith in God sustained her through those treatments. Before long, however, Susan became very ill, and the intense pain was growing unbearable. And soon she lost all of her hair. Her financial situation remained grim. She owed, at that time, in excess of $10,000 for her medical expenses, and she had no income and she had no savings. One cold winter day, the author says, while Susan was in the hospital again, a visitor came to see her. An older gentleman with a sweet face asked her, are you Susan? Yes, she replied. He said, my name is Mark White. And I live here in town. My wife was the woman who was in the bed next to yours. And she said, um, when you were here the first time, you chatted with her and you comforted her before going to bed. And we often wondered after you left how you were. He said, I heard that you had come back to the hospital. The first visit after you left, she said, he said, my wife died two days later. And he said, "Um, I'm actually here today to pick up some of her things. But while my wife was here, she overheard you talking to your mother about your financial situation. And my wife and I want to help you, and we know of no better way than to give you this money. We don't know you well. We just want to help. You were always a joy to my wife to talk to, and you were a great encouragement to her. Please, he said, take this as just a little love gift from us for your hospital bills. Well, the gentleman walked away and went back to his house. And he said to her, before he did, he said to her, he says, I know, kid, you're going to make it. Just keep believing in God. He left. Susan opened the envelope thinking, well, how sweet it was that this nice old couple gave her 20 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever it was in the envelope. And you can imagine her surprise. <laughs> When she opened it, there was a check for $10,000. Astonished, she began to weep as she read the attached note. It said this from Marie, the one who had passed away. Someone needs your encouragement today. Thanks for encouraging me for the few short days I knew you. Love, Marie. As I think of this girl suffering herself, she could have moped and whined and cried and everything else like that, but instead she used it as an opportunity to reach out to her neighbor in the bed next to her in great encouragement to her. She loved that woman. And in turn, Marie loved her. As short a time as it was, they learned to love each other. And Marie demonstrated that love by giving 
$10,000 that Susan needed for her medical expenses. The Bible says this about love. It says, but whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. I'll always remember my grandfather on my mother's side, Bob Cuthel. He, uh, he was not a preacher. He couldn't teach. He rarely shared at uh, the Lord's Supper. I, I think he was afraid of his own voice. And I can still see him as a child. When I was a child, I see him in my mind's eye standing at the, up in the pulpit. And he was just as nervous as anybody. His face was beat red and he was stumbling over his words and rattling the pocket full of change that he had in his pocket as he was giving some report of his work at Anvil Island. And uh, there was a, a Bible camp at this island. But as a man, he was a man of great love. And I remember watching him as a little boy. You know, it's, it's interesting. You never know who's watching you. And I remember as a small child, I would walk around different people at the, at the chapel, and, and I would watch my grandfather, and, and some visitor was there for the day, and uh, maybe he was a person who was poor off, or maybe there was a visiting speaker from, uh, who was a missionary, or maybe it was a widow, and I would see my grandfather just make his rounds talking to people, and he would shake their hand, and I would notice, because I was at that level, you know? There was always money in his hand, and he would, he would press the money into the palm of the person that he was talking to. And I thought, that's interesting. Why is he doing that? You know, as a child, I didn't get it. But as an adult, I do. He uh, was showing love to all of those people that came into his life. On one occasion, he was walking to work in downtown Vancouver. He ran a um, uh, printing and bindery company. And he saw a young man on the street corner of downtown Vancouver, and this young man was handing out gospel tracts to everybody who was uh, passing him by. And the man handed my grandfather a tract, and my grandfather said, Oh, I'm a believer. I don't need one. He said, Keep it and give it to somebody who really uh, needs it. I wished the man well, and he, my grandfather went on his way. And uh, he went to the nearest store, and he pulled out of his wallet uh, he found he had a $20 bill, and $20 back then went a lot further than it does today. And he went to the clerk, and he says, hey, can you change this for me? And she says, what do you want? He says, well, two tens will do. And so she split it into two tens, and off he went. And he thought, you know, I'm going to go to that man, and I'm going to give him $10 to help him, just to encourage him. And so he went back to that man and pressed a $10 bill in his hands. And he said to the man, I couldn't do what you're doing. And he said, but I want to encourage you with this. And the man took the money and he thanked him for it. And my grandfather continued walking towards work. And maybe two or three blocks down the way, the Lord began to barbecue him. Now, rotisserie might be a better word for what was going on. But he felt the pressure of the Lord and the heat of the Lord. That, what do you need the other $10 for? You don't need it. Why didn't you give him the whole 20 Why did you split it? And my grandfather kept walking, but more slowly now. And he realized that, you know what, I'm going to just go back and give it to him. And he came back and he handed the man. He said, I want, I want you to have this as well, another $10. And just as he was handing the man the $10, the man said, praise the Lord. I asked the Lord this morning that he would give me $20 today, that I might be able to, at the end of the day, go and buy tracks for tomorrow's distribution. 
And he says, you are the one that the Lord has used to answer my prayers. It's good to be sensitive to the Lord as you demonstrate love one to another. Paul said, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. The Lord Jesus demonstrated this honoring others type of love when he washed the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. Most of you are familiar with the account, so I won't repeat it. But I do want to point out what is said at the very beginning of that story. When he was about to wash his disciples' feet, it says this, John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the peace of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And the next thing we see is Jesus kneeling before his disciples, washing their feet. Love for us, love for them. At the conclusion of this act, he said this, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. What did he do? He loved them. He served them. What should I do? I should love you. And I should serve you. In his book, Quality Friendship, Gary Enrich illustrates this kind of selfless love in the heart of that great evangelist, D.L. Moody. He says this, At an early stage in the history of Moody Bible Institute, D.L. Moody organized a Bible conference that brought guests from as far away as Europe. Late the first night, Moody was walking through the corridors when he noticed that his European guests had, in accordance with their custom, left their shoes in the hall to be cleaned overnight. Moody did not want to disappoint them, so he went down the hall to explain the situation to some of his theology students and to ask them to help. The first student responded, Mr. Moody, I came here to study for the ministry. I didn't come here to shine shoes. And the rest of the students added their agreements and went off to bed that night. So Moody spent the rest of the night polishing the shoes himself for his European guests. I want you to think about your life, and I want you to ask yourself the question, can you really say, I am growing in love? I see that I love to a certain degree, but I really want to grow in love. Are you growing in love for believers? If I am, it will be seen in this kind of selfless service for others. The Bible teaches that uh, us this, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, it's an interesting verse. If we are called upon by God to lay down our lives for the brethren, is it really that difficult to wash one another's feet? Think about it. Think of how you can grow and increase in love for just one other believer this week. Let's make it simple goals. Simple goals. Think about one believer that you really should be showing love to. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your husband. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a coworker. Some other believer here. Somebody that you can show love to this week and make it your goal 
to show them that selfless, sacrificial love. Would you do it? Okay, growing in love for your family. In the letter to Titus, older Christian women are instructed to teach younger Christian women. You say, what are they to teach? One of the things is, well, two of the things are, in the uh, passage it says, admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. Now, for some women, this would be a great challenge to love their husband, okay? I remember the story of someone who was asked, a wife was asked one day about her husband, and she, the question was, have you ever thought about divorcing your husband? She says, divorce? Oh, absolutely not. Murder? Yes. <laughs> and I think sometimes that's the way we are. Some husbands are not too lovable. Some may not seem worthy of love. But I can say the same thing of us before the Lord, too. Some of us aren't too worthy of love of the Lord, and yet he loved us when we were his enemies. We were ungodly. We were sinners. We were his enemies. Wives, love your husbands. They're sinners. Of course they're sinners. Love them anyway. Sometimes your husbands are ungodly. Love them anyway. Hopefully your husbands will never be your enemies, but if they are, Love them anyway. Husbands, you're not exempt. In fact, I think the greatest challenge is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. And so the question, the standard, if you will, is this. What did Christ do for the church? How did he demonstrate his love for the church? Well, you do the same thing for your wife. Okay, That's what he's saying. Do the same thing for your wife. Are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? That might be too high a standard. So Paul also says, love your wives as your own bodies. How much do you pamper yourself? How much exercise do you do? Or, you know, how, how much uh, you know, cleaning do you do? And hairstyles and shaving and all that kind of stuff. Do you do for your own body? Well... That sort of love that you show for yourself, show for your wife. That's what it's saying. doesn't mean you have to shave her. It just means you have to love her. Okay? Will you love her in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer, until death parts you? Um, if you have a cell phone or if you have a um, notepad or something like that, or if you just have a good memory, um, I want to give you something to look up this afternoon and to read. I, we don't have time for it today. There was a man, his name was Robertson McQuilkin, and he was the head of Columbia University Theological School and Seminary. And during his time there, his wife, Muriel, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. The magazine Christianity Today ran two articles written by him. Um, one of them is called Muriel's Blessing, M-U-R-I-E-L apostrophe S, Blessing. Look it up and read it this afternoon, and you'll see the tender heart of a man who showed this kind of love for his wife. Um, And yet, if you read the article, you'll see that to, to him it was like, well, why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I show this kind of love for my wife? As she faded in her memory and faded in her life, 
It's a, it's a very powerful and moving story, and I would encourage you to read it, but a tremendous illustration of Ephesians 5.25. When he decided to step down from his career, he wrote this. This decision was made, in a way, 42 years ago, when I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health till death do us part. The story, when it broke back in 1990s, I think it was, or late 80s, um, <clears throat> the story of his love spread across, across the country. Uh, pastors and uh, Bible teachers were quoting what he had said. They mentioned it from the pulpit, leading couples to renew their wedding vows all over the country. And then Christianity Today printed uh, the two stories. And then in 1998, he expanded that material into a book called A Promise Kept. He appeared on television on the radio, he spoke, and um, he was in great demand for people to hear about a man's love for his wife. It's incredible, really, that it was so unique. And Robertson couldn't understand why so many people were inspired by his choice. Then an oncologist who worked with dying patients told him one day, almost all women stand by their man. Very few men stand by their woman. What a rebuke. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Growing in love for your family. Growing in love for your neighbor. The Bible says not just that we should love each other and love our um, uh, family, but we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. One day a lawyer heard Jesus say that and asked him, who is my neighbor? Wow, that's a, how can I exit from this? You know, who's my neighbor? And Jesus responded with this story to drive home to the lawyer and to us what it means to love our neighbor. You're familiar with the story, Luke chapter 10, verse 30. A certain man went down to, from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him for dead, half dead. Now by a chance, a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said, Go and do likewise. My great-grandparents lived um, on Vancouver Island, and their house was actually right... (coughs) um, it was called an old railroad house. It was right on the railroad tracks, not on them literally, but right next to the tracks. And um, it was an interesting thing. Men would often travel, you know, bums would often travel by train in those days. They would jump on at a certain point and get off at a certain point. And uh, they would jump on the train and drift from town to town looking for work. And these drifters would often end up on the porch of my great-grandmother's house. My great-grandmother would always welcome them with a home-cooked meal, and share the love of Christ with these people. She looked at it as an opportunity 
to witness to them. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've told this story before, and some of you are too old to remember it, so I'll repeat it. There's a man whose name is Stephen Crager. He's a Christian man who um, demonstrated tremendous love for his neighbor. He is a physiotherapist, and he has volunteered his time at Children's Hospital in Vancouver probably now for well over 35 years. But there's one incident in his life that really stands out above the others. Uh, Stephen Crager, so my sister is married to Stephen's brother. So my sister Joan is married to, this is her brother-in-law. How's that? Some time ago, Stephen parked his car in front of a house in Vancouver uh, near the hospital where he works. And he noticed that the grass in front of this house had grown quite high. And so after work, he drove home, he loaded up his lawnmower, put it in the back of his trunk, and then drove back to the house. He knocked on the front door, and there was an elderly resident who was living there. And uh, Stephen said, hey, I noticed that your grass hasn't uh, been cut in quite a while. Uh, I was wondering, do you mind if I cut it for you? Well, the man was a little taken back, obviously, and he replied, well, I haven't been feeling good, too good lately, so I haven't cut the grass. He said, well, let me cut it for you. And so the man agreed and let him cut it. And every week, Stephen returned home after work, and he'd get his lawnmower, and he'd come back, and he would cut this man's grass. And so as time went on, he got to know the man a little better, and the man finally invited him into his home. And the sight of the interior of this man's home was absolutely appalling. The man was not taking care of himself. He was not taking care of his, his, himself personally or his home. He was too weak to cook, and so he called in for food for every meal, and Chinese food and pizza and whatever else could be delivered to the door, and the empty boxes and containers littered the floor, literally, and the counters and the table, and the stench of rotting food filled the house. So Stephen said, well, rolled up his sleeves, and he started getting garbage bags out, and he started taking the trash out to the trash container. And he threw up bags and bags of, of trash. And then he washed the countertops and the tables and he scrubbed the floor. It took him days to clean up the mess. But he used the opportunity to witness to this man about the Lord Jesus Christ and God's love for him. And he demonstrated the love of Christ to this man. What would Jesus do? Then he went into the bathroom. The man was sick. and Sometimes he couldn't make it all the way to the toilet. And when he did um, have an accident, I think it was described to me as pig pens or cleaner. Um, And uh, he had to literally scrape the mess off the floor. And the smell was nauseating. But as he cleaned and washed, he gagged from the unbearable odor. But all the while, he demonstrated what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. For three or four years, Stephen made his weekly visits to the old man's house. He cared for him. He took him shopping for groceries. He took him to doctor's appointments. He cleaned for him. He cut his grass. And each week, Stephen selflessly demonstrated the love of God for this man. As weeks went on, Stephen shared about God and his love and then demonstrated it practically by caring for the man's needs. One day... When he came to visit, he noticed there was a change in the man's health, and so he called for an ambulance and took him to the hospital. And within a couple of days, uh, the man died. 
The funeral was held for this man, and <laughs> the only ones attending the funeral was Stephen and his own family. And Stephen wept. I wish I saw people the way Stephen sees people. And I say that to my shame. I don't know that I would have gotten as far as cutting the man's grass, let alone doing all that Stephen did. And so I say that to my shame. And yet all of our evangelistic methods pale in comparison to what Stephen did. Genuine love. Stephen demonstrated the love of God for this man by caring for him in his filth. I asked my sister Joan to tell me a little more about Stephen. And she said, you know, this is the way he treats everybody. This man was no different than the way he treats everybody in his life. He is like the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, she says she is more like Jesus Christ than any other person I know on earth. In an interesting twist of events, when the man's will was read, Stephen was named as the sole beneficiary. And the man left his entire estate to Stephen. And it was valued at that time at $600,000. Given to the only friend he had on earth. A man who had demonstrated God's love to him. Stephen loved selflessly and as he continues to do so in so many ways today. And yet he loves without any idea of getting anything in return. He did not do this for money. He did not do this with a thought that somehow I might get something for this. In fact, he was shocked to find that he had inherited the man's wealth. And so what he did is he immediately took out an ad in the newspaper trying to find relatives of this man to give the money to them. And when no one came forward, uh, he decided how he might spend it on others. And he's used the money to help others in need. Now you can see why Paul says to the Thessalonian believers that he he wants to encourage them to grow in love. If we think we have arrived, believe me, I haven't. We need to grow in love. Paul explains that we owe a debt of love to our fellow men. He says, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Well, if you think that we've gone as far as we can in love, there's yet another step. And it's a step that is extremely difficult for most people, but it's growing in love for your enemies. If you haven't already been challenged to the core, this teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ is absolutely revolutionary. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other also. And from him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who asks of you. And from him who takes away your goods, do not ask them back. And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, What credit is that to you? 
For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Therefore, be merciful, just as your Father also is merciful. If I read this scripture and I remain comfortable, I haven't understood what it says. It is one of the most challenging sections in the Bible, and it shows me how much I need to grow in love. My mom used to work as an admissions clerk in the Vancouver General Hospital, and one day a 64-year-old lady named Pauline Fell came in, and she was bringing a girl into the emergency ward. She worked among um, people who were down and out, and uh, she was taking care of this young lady. And uh, she brought her into the emergency ward. My mom worked there, did the admission, and then began to talk to Pauline, and became good, they became good friends. Pauline was a slender, saintly-looking woman, full head of white hair, and um, she was a lady that knew how to love her neighbor, and she knew how to love her enemies, too. Even into her mid-80s, Pauline used to go at night from bar to bar, not to drink. I know I saw some frowns on your faces. She was there not for the drink, but for the uh, patrons. And uh, she would spend her days working among the drunks and the drug addicts in Vancouver, She volunteered in a soup kitchen and witnessed everybody she met. And so as she would frequent these bars for the right reason, she would move from table to table to talk to people about the Lord and try to talk them out of finding solace in their drink. One day a man scorned her and uh, gave her a real message by taking a glass of his drink and pouring it over top of her head. And she rewarded his anger with love. Another time, a man began to stalk her. She was in a bar one night talking to the patrons about the love of God, and two men approached her uh, after hearing this other man threaten her and said, Pauline, as long as we're here, there's nothing you have to worry about. We'll take care of you. And they did, but they didn't uh, do anything to him. But the man that threatened her decided that, Two against him was enough. And so he just sat down at his table. The man stalking her sat a few tables away and listened to the conversation she was having. And from that day forward, he never bothered her again. And as a matter of fact, he became a friend of Pauline's. Pauline turned an enemy into a friend and told him about the love of God as well. We could tell you stories about Corrie ten Boom. You know the story of her love and how the Lord tested her love um, with one of the former guards of the concentration camp coming to a meeting that she was talking about love. And he came up to her and, and put his hand out and says, Fräulein. And she recognized immediately who he was. He was one of the guards at the, at the concentration camp. And he wanted to shake her hand. 
And she said, my hand and my arm felt like lead. I could hardly lift it. And she said, at that moment, I had to cry out to the Lord, Lord, give me the same love that you have for me. And with that, she reached out her hand and she accepted his and hers. He said, isn't it wonderful that God has not only forgiven you of your sins, but he's forgiven me of all my sins. A love like that is supernatural, but that is the kind of love. that the Lord is calling us to exhibit. I think of the five martyrs in Ecuador. I think of their wives who were there, would have to go and pick up the bodies of their dead husbands, and yet they went back to that tribe to win them for the Lord. It's a supernatural love. Bill McDonald tells a story (laughs) of a time when he was a president of Emmaus Bible College or Bible School. And uh, the news broke about the five martyrs who had been slain by the Aka Spears. And uh, one, of the, one of the five martyrs, his name was uh, Ed McCulley. His father, T.E. McCulley, came to Bill one night and he said, Bill, why don't we just pray right now? And in Bill's office, they got down on their knees Bill says, I'll never forget that prayer that night. The father of Ed McCulley prayed this, Lord, let me live long enough to see these fellows saved who killed our boys. That's quite a prayer, but he didn't stop there. That I may throw my arms around them and tell them I love them because they love my Christ. That's Christian love. That's loving your enemies. And it is supernatural. Some of you saw the movie recently of um, Louis Zamperini. He was, uh, a book was written, New York bestseller, Unbroken. It was turned into a film. If you haven't seen it, um, it it's well worth seeing. It's graphic in some parts of the abuse that, that he took in a a Japanese internment camp. And as I watched the movie, it was uh, fairly um, moving. But the thing that moved me more than anything else was at the very end. And it wasn't an action or anything like that. It was simply words that came across the screen. And at the very end, it said that after he came back from Japan, ultimately he came to know the Lord. The Lord saved him. And the Lord began to teach him about love. And he realized that one of the things that was hindering his growth in love was that he needed to forgive those men in the prison camp who had abused him so violently. What they had done was so wrong, so illegal. And he made his way to Japan and he sought out each of the guards and he told them that he forgave them. For Jesus' sake. The only one he couldn't go to was one who refused to see him, who was the head of the prison camp. But it wasn't because Louis didn't want to. It was because the man refused to. Loving his enemies. And then, of course, we can't end without thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was beaten. Who was whipped. A crown of thorns. 
beat into his head. I think of the Lord Jesus Christ with nails in each hand, nails pinned through his feet to a cross. Why? Love for his enemies, you and me. He did that for me. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then from the cross to utter these words, in the midst of horrific suffering, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How do we make this final act of love practical in our own lives? Let me make a suggestion to you. When you think about your enemies, just think about one. And right now, somebody has come to your mind who is your enemy. I don't know who it is. Could be a close relative. Could be a friend that you once had. Could be a husband. Could be a wife. Could be children. I don't know who it is. But you know, that one person just irritates you, gets under your skin, drives you insane. Who is that person? That's the person that God wants you to love this week. Whoever that is. I don't know who it is. Love your enemies in the same way that Christ loved his enemies, us. Love them and win them for the Lord. Love your enemies. You say, well, I don't have any enemies. I don't have an enemy, but I have an irritant. Well, who is that person? Whoever that is. Today, bring the name of that person before the Lord and say, Lord, you know my heart. You know how I have felt about this person. You know how I have treated this person in my heart, whether I've done it physically or verbally. You know what I've said in my heart. And I thought, Lord, I want to bring this to the foot of the cross. And I want you to forgive me for my thoughts toward this person. Forgive me. And in the same way you forgive me, I want to forgive them for what they've done to hurt me. Ask the Lord to fill your heart with love for him or for her. And then ask the Lord for an opportunity this week to demonstrate that love to that person. I believe that the Lord wants us to grow as a church. And this is one of the steps towards that growth in this church. Let's pray. Lord, as we consider what you have taught us concerning love, we want to pray with Paul. Lord, make us increase and abound in love to one another and to all. Lord, I pray that today... You might teach us, speak to us in such a way that, Lord, we would be changed forever. I pray that this week, Lord, we would go forth from here and that we would learn what it means to love as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Help us to love not only our friends, not only our family, not only our neighbor, but to even love our enemies, Lord. That the love of Christ might be shown so clearly in us and through us that, Lord, you would receive all the glory and the praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.